Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. We are excited that you are with us today. And man, let me just tell you how incredible it is to be in a spot where you know that when people come to church, they're not just coming because it's like the thing to do. They're coming because they want to worship and they want to experience God. They want community in their life. They want to hear the word. And I can honestly say that every week when we walk into this place, that is the heartbeat of what this church is doing. I got to thinking this week about a couple of really big buckets of what I would just kind of call the categories of decisions of our lives. Uh, there, there's the first categories of decision is what I would just kind of call the everyday, mundane, I mean, just like no nonsense, gotta make them decisions. You know those decisions I'm talking about, like what do we eat and what do we wear and where do we go and who do I talk to? I mean, those kind of decisions that are just kind of like, okay, there it is. And the, the reality is, it's those decisions in our lives, they don't get a lot of credit, but it's those decisions, those everyday small little decisions that really shape who we are. It shapes our character. It shapes the direction of our lives. In fact, I not too long ago read a book called Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. And it talks about the fact that these small, little bitty habits in our lives are the things that shape our life over time. And they do it not in a large kind of atom bomb way, but in a small molecule, an atom way that these small little decisions, one decision at a time over the course of time change your life. That's why we talk every week here about our daily time in the word, our daily worship, our church involvement, our walking with Christ every day. The first bucket, like I just said, is kind of those everyday mundane decisions. But the second bucket is what we're looking at in this series, how we're looking in this transformation stories, these transformational decisions, these big moments where obviously something that was not there or something that was hidden is now kind of blowing up in our lives. Or I guess you could say it's a truth is presented to us that radically changes us or it's something that we didn't know before or kind of got blended into the craziness of life that Jesus kind of puts in front of us and really and truly shows us a new walk in life. And so suddenly in these big moments, what happens in us is, is that something that we didn't see, we're now just seeing it in a huge light, in a new light, whether it's a new truth or a new story or a newness in life that something happened to us, we just don't walk away the same. I was thinking of an example of this second uh, kind of bucket of decisions. And, and I can remember, and you parents, you're going you're gonna to remember this like it was yesterday. You, you parents, you remember when you had your first child? I'm not talking about like your fifth child or sixth child, because those you don't even remember. You're like, yeah, whatever, they came home. But do you remember like, you remember when you had the first child? You remember that how everything was going incredibly well while you were at the hospital? I mean, you remember that? Like, I mean, you had like a whole wait staff around you. People were bringing you meals. They were offering to change that diaper with that like 
tar stuff that you can't scrape off the side of your car. I mean, you had people that were all over you. I mean, grandma was helping. The nurses were so nice. And then all of a sudden, that person came into your room and said, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Petty, it's time to go home. And you're like, no, we're not going home. We like it here, right? We like it here. And then what do they do? They bring that carrier over. They strap the baby in. They put mama in the wheelchair, rolling her down the aisle. Like It's like the green mile going out of this place and they put you in the car and then all of a sudden the reality hits like oh no Uh oh what do we do kids I promise you this is how it works all right you're like what what do we do and and you're driving home and you honestly don't know what to do Melissa's like we knew what to do no I didn't know what to do that's the moment I'm talking about That's a transformation moment. You know, like changing a diaper here and there, that's like an everyday life moment. But these transformation moments are these moments that hit us like a ton of bricks. We're not expecting them, we don't see them coming, and then all of a sudden they just bang, they're in our lives. That's what we've been doing over these last weeks is we've been looking into some of these transformation moments in scripture. We've been watching Jesus come face to face with people that that really weren't planning on it. They really weren't expecting it. They really didn't know the hows and the whys and the whats behind any of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, they ended up face to face with Jesus. And listen to me, anytime you end up face to face with Jesus, there's only one thing that can happen when that account happens for real. And that is that you're changed. That something happens inside of you. And I can feel you, you're like, well, Matt, it didn't happen to me. Well, then you didn't come face to face with Jesus, right? Because when you do, you always walk away differently. So far, we've looked at these stories like the man that was born blind, where Jesus just gave him a new heart as well. We've looked at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, where Jesus not only saved her, but gave her a purpose in life. We looked at John the Baptist in prison in this doubt moment where John was looking at Jesus going, I just need to know, are you the one? And he said, yes, I am the one. We looked at the disciples sitting around the table with Jesus and Jesus once again telling them that I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then last week we looked at little Zach, right? Little Zacchaeus last week. And we saw that nobody is too far from the grace and the love and the mercy of who Jesus is. Well, this morning we're going to see a story that shows us that same truth, but shows it in a completely different life. This morning we're going to look at a man by the name of Saul of Tarshish. This Pharisee named Saul of Tarshish. And we're going to watch Jesus transform his heart and watch this moment in his life. Now, This morning is a little bit different than every other week in this series. Every other week, we have studied these stories through an outside person telling us this event. This morning, we are going to watch Saul tell us his story of how Jesus transformed his heart 
and how now that most of us know him by the name of the Apostle Paul. If you got a copy of scripture this morning, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22 today. You say, well, Matt, I thought we were in the Gospels every week. I never said that. I said we're looking at things there face to face with Jesus, all right? And you're gonna see that in just a minute. Acts chapter 22, while you're doing that, let me talk a little bit about this guy named Saul. Let me give you a little bit of context of where we are. Saul of Tarshish is an incredibly interesting man. He is born to an upper class family. He's actually what a lot of historians would call one of the most noteworthy figures in all of history, whether you're a believer or not, just from the history that's around him. He was educated by the premier Jewish teacher of Judaism of the day. He was the best of the best. He was tutored. He was raised to be a Pharisee in his citizenship of Rome. He was able to carry that into his job that God called him to do. And he excelled at everything he did, especially the things from the Jewish culture. You say, well, Matt, how do, how do you know that is true? How do you know he excelled? One reality is, is that he memorized the first five books of the Bible. I'm not talking about a verse from every five books, right? That would be like, oh, good job. Here's a star. No, this guy knew every word in the first five books of the Bible. All the Pentateuch he had memorized, okay? He is a scholar. Some historians would call him the number one scholar of Jewish thought and Jewish law that leads us back to Jehovah God. Saul was the best of the best. His sincerity and what he did, you couldn't question it. He was that big of a figure. And along with all that, he despised the followers of Jesus. He despised him. He said, well, Matt, how could you love the Old Testament and despise the followers of Jesus? Man, that's a great question. Just hold on to it, all right? Because we're going to get there. But he loved God, but he saw the followers of Jesus as a sect of another religion that was running against who the God was that he knew. So he was respected by history, but he despised the followers of Jesus. In fact, the first time that we meet Saul is in Acts chapter seven at the stoning of Stephen, this guy who stood up for the faith. And Saul wasn't just there along with the rest of the guys. Saul was the designer of this event. He's the one that gave the nod to stone Stephen in this event. He was the one that his sole purpose was to destroy believers. But here's the question, what changed? What changed in his life? Because we know him as the Apostle Paul, right? We know him as this guy that has wrote most or a lot of the New Testament. We know him as a guy who started so many churches. We know him as a guy who gave his life for Christianity. We know him as a guy that has given us much of our theology and church doctrine and New Testament understanding. So how did we get from a guy that was killing Christians to a guy that has set us up to be incredibly educated followers of Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And in Acts chapter two, 22, we're going to look at it through the lens of the apostle Paul telling his story. 
Okay, he's telling his story in Acts chapter 22. Now, actually, you can read this event in three different locations in the book of Acts. You can read it in Acts chapter 22. You can read it in Acts chapter nine. Luke gives us this in our church history to show us how the church was being formed. And you can read it in Acts chapter 26 when he was standing before King Agrippa giving his testimony again. This morning, we're gonna watch as part of Paul's defense watch him give his testimony of how Christ delivered him from death to life, okay? So let me set the scene. He's standing in front of this Jewish mob, these angry people. He has been ripped out of the temple, brought up in these phony charges just so they could get rid of him. This is late in Paul's missionary journeys. Three of them are over, and now he's standing in front of this court in Acts chapter 22, and they have brought him in to give a defense. They brought him in to give a defense. Now here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk through his testimony in Acts chapter 22. We're gonna also pull some from 26, Acts 26 and Acts chapter nine. But here's what I'm gonna do this morning in the two hours we have left, all right? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you four moments. I'm gonna give you three takeaways. I'm gonna give you two questions. And, and really, I wanted to stop there, but I couldn't leave that. I had to go with a one. I'm gonna give you one truth, all right? I'm gonna give you one truth, all right? But, but for you type A people, I promise you, the first four take up the majority of the message, okay? I see you. You don't think I see you looking at your watches. I see it. I see everything that happens out there. Y'all get that? I can see it. I can see every candy crush, and I can see every time you check your clock. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk through these moments and I'm gonna start with this idea that there's four divine moments in every believer's life that shape us. There's four divine moments that are there. Here, write this first one down because then I'm gonna give you the context from scripture. Number one, the first moment is that there's a divine contact. There's a divine contact. I'm going old school today. We're going alliteration and the same word in all four of these. Adrian Rogers would be so proud. All right, you don't even know who that is. But that's cool, if you're old, you might. All right, here it is. So Paul, standing in front of this court. He's been arrested, he's been drugged out into this trial. And, and Paul is looking at these people and he's saying to them, listen, I, th th there was this moment, I'm not making it up, I promise you guys, there was this moment where I was minding my own business, I was on the way to Damascus and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, nobody saw this coming, especially me, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. Watch, watch what he says about this in Acts 22 verse four, he says this, I, this is Paul talking. I persecuted the followers of this way. Now, the way is gonna be used a lot here. That's what they called Christians right at this moment. I persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council, they can testify themselves. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished, okay? I love what Luke does in Luke 9. He says this in Luke 9, 1, he describes it as this. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. The Lord's disciples. Now, what does that mean? That means that he is showing us the background of what Saul was prior to meeting Jesus. It says that he was breathing out murderous threats. In your mind, I want you to think a racehorse that is waiting for the bell to ring, a Olympic runner that is in the blocks ready for the starting 
to be fired off. Think of a toddler just getting so mad, not knowing what to do. That's what this word breathing is. He's so angry, he knows he has to do something. Why? Because Christianity is spreading. And it's traveling across the region. And Saul is mad at it because he sees himself as a defender of the Old Testament God, of Jehovah. And so he's so mad about it, he leaves Jerusalem and goes towards Damascus. That's where we're catching up with the story, right? He's on this 140-mile journey. He's got the Sanhedrin police behind him. And because he was a leader and he was a clean Pharisee, he would have separated himself by a couple hundred yards from the rest of the crew and rode out in front of them. And what do you do when you're by yourself for days riding on some animal and walking along the way by yourself? You say, well, Matt, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you scroll social media. Well, not during this time, right? You couldn't do that. All he had was his thoughts. All he had was the fact that he was getting more and more mad that there was this assault on the God that he loved called Christianity. All that he had was these moments of the stoning of Stephen and the news of Philip's teaching that was beginning to spread and people were giving their life to this Jesus. All that he had was these memories of all these crazy followers of Jesus that were giving their lives for this so-called resurrected Savior, right? That's where he is. So he's riding, he's riding, and he's riding. And most historians will say that as soon as he reached the outskirts of Damascus, that's one of the oldest cities in the world, he begins to ascend Mount Hermon, and at the very crest of Mount Hermon, listen church, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in his life, and this divine contact happens in the apostle Paul's life. He's called Saul right here, but listen to what it says in verse 6, Acts twenty-two six. 6, read it. He describes it to us. At about noon, I came near Damascus, and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. Now remember, he's standing in front of the council, right? And I can hear it like it's in my own mind. I can just hear him saying to these people, listen, I didn't make this up. Listen, this is not something I wanted to happen. This is not something I planned for. I remember it like it was yesterday. All of a sudden, I'm riding and boom, a bright light flashed around me. And it was a huge light. In fact, he's telling this same story to King Agrippa in Acts 26. And listen to Acts 26, 13. He says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. Now I want you to notice something about this divine contact. Right here in this divine contact, Saul has no intention of meeting Jesus. I want you to notice this because this is important. He is not on a journey to find himself. He's not on a journey kind of going out to find all the religions of the world to decide which one is best. He's not on a decision to kind of see what's out there. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this pursuit of regular life for Saul, what happens? Jesus, right? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the giver of grace and mercy and love and justice. He shows up in his life when he didn't even think it was coming. How many of you, that's your story? How many of you, that's your story, right? 
How many of you, that's your story? You weren't looking, you weren't searching, you didn't know something was out there. In fact, some girl invited you to get some pizza at a deal at a church and Jesus stepped into your life. Jesus interceded you. Somebody invited you to get coffee and you were ambushed with the gospel and something happened in you. Somebody knocked on your door and before you know it, you're talking about the Bible and three months later, you're trusting Jesus. Somebody invited you to church. Your wife finally wore you down to the fact you said you'll go if you'll just quit asking and you did and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and something begins to stir in your life and boom something happened something made sense now something got more clear now listen nobody is too far from God nobody it's what we're seeing in the story right here there was a divine contact but number two there was a divine conviction I told you we're going old school look at that there was a divine conviction you say, Matt, what, is, what does conviction mean? Conviction is not just being guilty or not feeling bad about something or not just a knowledge of something that's bad. Conviction is when God presses into a person so that we begin to see ourselves as God sees us and we begin to see the things in our heart that are not lining up with God. That's what conviction is. Conviction is more of a Holy Spirit convincing us of something that is truth, okay? It's not having us agree with God. It's God showing us what truth is and showing us who he is. Now look, conviction can happen in a believer's life and in a non-believer's life. Conviction in a believer's life, somebody that has trusted Jesus, looks kind of like this. It's when something in our lives, it's the Holy Spirit, begins to press into our soul about something that is going on in our lives that is not lining up with who Jesus is. Conviction, students, is that thing in your life that when you put your head on your pillow at night, having done what you did that afternoon, you know that it just doesn't settle well in your soul. Conviction, moms and dads, is that thing that you've been hiding for a long time that you have never brought before the King Jesus to give it to him and say, God, here I am, I'm a sinner in need of grace. Conviction is when the spirit presses into our souls and begins to align us into who he is. Now this happens, like we said, a lot. It happens in our prayer times. It happens in times of worship. It happens when somebody's reading scripture over us and we're reading scripture. That's how conviction happens in a believer's life. In a non-believer's life, conviction is where the Holy Spirit just begins to show you things in clarity that have never been that clear before. He begins to press into your soul in a way to where God begins to show you that you are indeed a sinner in need of grace, that you have indeed not followed him. That's what conviction looks like. It's that still small voice in your heart that says, man, I, I probably need that. I probably need to step into that. I'm not sure I've ever done that. That's conviction. That's what it means. But watch what happened in his life. Look at verse eight. Watch this divine conviction moment. Verse eight says, who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of who was speaking to me. I love it. I love Luke's shortened description of this because I like short descriptions. Look, look at this in chapter nine, verse four. Luke says this about it. He says, he fell on the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus looks at him and says, why are you doing this? Which is interesting because Saul doesn't know who this is right here. You got to realize that, right? When Saul left his animal and hit the ground because of the light, right? That's what we just read. He looks up at this person that is in front of him and goes, 
Who are you? Who are you, Lord? Now, the truest reading of that is who are you, Lord, would be who are you, sir? Because he's trying to figure out who is this in front of you? Remember at this point, Saul truly believes that Jesus is dead and these people are crazy for following him. And then look at the response in verse eight. I am Jesus. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Thank the good Lord that that's what Jesus tells us. Amen? That I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. You know, at this point, Saul had to realize two things. The first thing he had to realize is that this guy named Jesus that I've been persecuting, this guy named Jesus that I've been putting these people in jail and literally killing for this cause, this guy named Jesus, he really is alive. He is alive. You say, well, Matt, how do you know it was Jesus in front of him? Well, look at Acts 9, 17. Watch this. It's the end of the story of this account. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing it on his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, all right, go back in the scene, as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can see that it was Jesus that stepped in front of Saul. Also, Paul, later on in a later letter in 1 Corinthians, let me just read this over you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, listen to what Paul says later on. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas as Peter and to the 12 and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are all living. What is he doing? He's given a confirmation that Christ is alive. He says, though some have fallen asleep. Watch verse seven. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me also. Church, this bright light that shone around Saul, it was the glorified Jesus. It wasn't a weather event. It wasn't a lightning strike. It wasn't something that was just kind of weird. It was Jesus, and Jesus was fully alive. And at this point, Saul is becoming Paul. He's realizing that Jesus is alive, but secondly, he's realizing that Jesus really is for his people, that's what he's realizing. And that Jesus is really for all the people. And that Jesus is the bringer of hope. That's what we're seeing in the story. Why? Because we see here that Jesus has now come to set free Paul. He's come to redeem him. He's come to save him. He's come to lead him in a direction. In fact, skip down to Acts 22.8 and look what it says. He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Do you know what's happening right here? There's this conviction that is beginning to happen in Saul's life where he's beginning to find himself in this divine conviction, this moment where he's being convicted of the sin of all sins. Do you know what the sin of all sins is? Well, yeah, Matt, it's, it's murder. Yeah, Matt, it's rape. Or yeah, Matt, it's, it's sexual sin. No, 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 that's not the sin of all sins. The sin of all sins is the rejection of who Jesus is. That's the sin of all sins. That's where he is standing right here in front of Jesus and the sin of unbelief is beginning to consume him. So what are we seeing? We're seeing a divine contact by Jesus. We're just seeing a divine conviction of a heart that you need me. And then number three, I love this. There's number three, there's a divine conversion. There's a divine conversion. Now, what does this mean? This is the transformation moment, just in case you're wondering. It's at this moment, the divine exchange from death to life happens. The introduction has been made. The new vision of who Jesus is is happening. And then look at verse 10. Watch what it says. Acts twenty-two ten 10 says, what shall I do 
Lord, I asked. I love how the New King James puts it. It says, Lord, what would you have me to do? It's at this moment, church, listen, the clarity begins to set in because his eyes are beginning to open to who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for his life. So conviction sets in. The lies that he had been chasing are no longer lies. He's seeing the truth of this sect of people called Christians that are following Jesus. He now is seeing how the Old Testament is leading to this very moment. All of that knowledge, listen to this, that he used to have in his head is now connecting with his heart. Church, listen, you can have all the knowledge you want to in your head, but if it does not connect with your heart, it is not a saving knowledge. It is not a knowledge that leads you to repentance. It is not a knowledge that leads you to see Jesus for who he really is. But at this moment, in Saul's heart, it connects to who Jesus is. And you know at this moment, you know because of the life he had lived and where he has come from that he is connecting the dots in his mind. You know this brought him back to Acts 7 verse uh, chapter 7, verse 56, where Stephen, the guy he was stoning, watch what Stephen said. Look, he said, I saw heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Paul heard that earlier in his life, but right now, listen, church, Jesus is standing beside him, standing in his presence. And all of this stuff that was just a fable is now true. It is this moment, is, this is the conversion moment. Listen, you cannot live your life without a moment in time that you move from death to life. That's what we're seeing in his life. It's at this moment that we get Philippians 3, 7 through 11, where Paul says this, but whatever regains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing value, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Listen, he says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Church, this moment is the moment that Paul moved into life. My question to you is, have you experienced this moment? Have you experienced this moment? Saul is now a believer. He has turned his life to Jesus. He surrendered his heart to Jesus. He said, well, Matt, how do you know? Look at Acts 22, verse 10. Look at what he asked. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? What, did he do? what is he doing? He's turning to Jesus. He's trusting Jesus. What are we seeing? A divine contact, a divine conversion, a divine conviction. And look at number four. This happens in everybody's life, but you gotta roll with it. Number four is that there's a divine commission. There's a divine commission. So Matt, what is a commission? A commission is the point in time where Jesus sends you. Look, look at what happens. So Saul goes blind, right? We, we see this in the story. It's not a darkness blind. It's like a, all he can see is light blind. It's like when you're outside at the beach and you look at the sun and close your eyes. That's, that's what it is. That's what he's seeing right here, okay? But it's an unlikely conversion. Now you've got this kind of avenger of Judaism being led like a little kid into Damascus by the hand. But let's catch up with him and watch how the account closes in verse 10. Watch what it says, Acts twenty-two ten. It says, get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. 
He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you. And you know his will to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. Watch this in verse 15. And you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. What happened in Paul's life? This Saul, this murderous Saul has now been transformed into the apostle Paul. And what does he get? He gets his divine marching orders and he lives them out from that day forward. Of course he did. Why? Because when you truly experience Jesus Christ, there is a newness in you. And the reality is, is we're all here today because of this moment. Why? Because the apostle Paul is the one that took the gospel to the Gentiles that started the churches to where churches moved throughout all of that region and hit the region that all of us come from from as Gentile peoples. But here's the beauty of this whole event. These orders are this commission that the apostle Paul was given is the same one that's given to all of us. It's only two things. It's to love the Lord intimately, to love Jesus intimately, and, and to reach others. So what are we seeing in this whole picture? We are seeing a divine exchange that Christ Jesus our Lord has said, I'm yours. I'm yours. Now, listen, this is an incredible transformation account. But the question I had to answer after the, all of this was, what does this do for me? And that's what I want to spend the next hour talking about. All right, here's what this does for me. I'm just kidding. We see there's, there's four moments in all of our lives as we meet Jesus. But here's where it kind of meets the road for all of us. I want to give you three takeaways from this text that really can make this hit home for me. And they're really quick. Number one, I want you to write this down. Here's what this account tells all of us. Number one is that every saint has a past. Every saint has a past. Let me just tell you, don't disqualify yourself. That's not your role. God can use you. In fact, God uses many times those people with the sketchiest past to do a ton of his work. If you're still alive, which is most of you, right? If you're still alive, God can still use you. God can still put you on a path. You have not been disqualified. You show me a person that God really worked through and I'll show you a person that probably has a backstory. That's how it works. We all have a BC life, right? A before Christ's life. Paul can make it, I'm pretty sure we all can. Number one, every saint has a past. But number two, I told you they're quick. Number two, every sinner has a future. Every sinner has a future. What does that mean? That just simply means this, that Christ can change you. That Christ can redeem you. That Christ can reach you. If you're hearing this today, which again, is most of you, right? God can save you. God can radically save you and he can transform your heart. God is big enough to do that for you. It's the scarlet thread that runs through all of eternity is that God loves people and God wants to save people. He wants to redeem his people. He wants to bring people from death to life. Also, listen, if you are a believer and if you have stumbled, God wants to restore you. Every sinner has a future. And here's number three. Every believer has a purpose. Every believer has a purpose. Well, Matt, I don't have a purpose. Yes, you do. 
You have a purpose. You have been created. You have been saved to be useful for God's kingdom. But how can I be saved? How can I be useful? I've tried my whole life to be useful. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start. Well, I'm glad you said that because Paul gives us two questions to ask. Look at that. We got a four, we got a three. Here's the two. He gives us two questions to ask every day. And let me tell you about these two questions before I give you the questions. These questions can save your life. These questions can put you on a path to honor God with all of your life. And these questions that Paul gives us right here should be questions that we ask every single day to help us find our purpose. Here's the first one. Paul gives it to you. I'm not making it up. I'm just gonna give you the question. We already read it. Number one, first question is who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? It's verse eight, if you wanna see where it is. All right, who are you? Are you Lord? That's the relationship question, right? You say, Matt, I I don't know about asking God who he is. Shouldn't I know who God is? Fair point, but there's so much about God, you'll never know all of who he is. Listen, church, listen, write this in your journal somewhere. Write this on a sticky note in your truck somewhere. And every single day of your life, you need to ask God, God, who are you? you. This is the relationship question. God, show me your character. Show me your nature. Show me your love. God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your nature. God, continually lead me in a way that I can know you deeper. That's what that means. You say, Matt, why would I be asking God to show me who he is if it's about me serving him? Here's why. The more you know Jesus, the more you want to follow Jesus. The more you know his love for you, the more you want to submit to his love for you. The more you want to know the character and the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the acceptance that Christ has for you, the overflow of your heart, you cannot help but walk into him. If you are struggling and walking with Jesus, I would propose to you it's not a walking with Jesus problem. It is a relationship with Jesus problem. That's what it is. God, who are you, Lord? That's such a beautiful question that Paul gives us. But here's the second one. The first one's a relationship question. Number two, he asks, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? You see it? The first one's a relationship question. The second one is a purpose question. It's verse 10, if you just want to circle it. It's, God, where are you planting me to make a difference? Where are you putting me right now that I can be who you've called me to be? Here's the question. God, open my eyes to the opportunities that you are putting in front of me today. That's what Paul asked. And that's what I think we need to ask every single day from God. Here's how it can go in your life. Man, you read scripture, you spend time praying, and then you pause at the end of that and you say this, God, in light of what you've shown me about yourself today. Here it is. God, show me where to walk. God, show me who to speak to. God, put people in front of me right now, God, that I can be a proclaimer of truth, that I can be the voice of the Lord, that I can be the spreader of your word. Man, how many times have you asked God that? God, what would you have me to do? Church, I'm telling you, if we would commit to asking this question every single day of my life, here's what God will do. He'll begin to put things in front of you that will be incredibly clear that you need to step into. And we're gonna begin to see people meet Jesus. We're gonna begin to see God's name be proclaimed to all the nation. We're gonna begin to see our families begin to heal. We're gonna begin to see our church make a difference in this community. Why? Because we're looking at God and we're honestly going, God, show me who you are and God, show me what to do. But man, I just don't feel completely clear that God has ever shown me exactly what to do. Here's all I'll tell you. Do something. 
do something and then say, God, if this is not what you want me to do, show me something else, but I'm gonna do this until you tell me that. That's so much better of a way than going, God, I'm gonna sit here until you give me a word. That's a cop out. Start moving. God, what do you want me to do? There's four moments, there's three takeaways, there's two questions, and here's the one. There's one name to be praised, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You say, Matt, where does that go in the story? We wouldn't have this story if Jesus wouldn't have showed up on the scene. We wouldn't have this account if Jesus wasn't pouring his heart into this man named the apostle Paul. We wouldn't have this account if Jesus didn't love this guy named Saul of Tarsus so much that he changed his heart and set him on a trajectory to reach the world. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you know Jesus? Are you giving your life to Jesus? Looking through those four moments this morning, that divine contact, has there been a point in your life where you just know that Christ is beginning to press into you? Have you felt that divine conviction? Did you know you need to submit your heart to Jesus? Have you had that moment in your life where you have walked from death to life, where you have given Christ your life and you have been converted? You say, Matt, what are you trying to convert me? Yes, I am. Has there been that point in your life where you've said, yes, Jesus? Has there been that point in your life where you have felt the commissioning of the Lord to send you? That's the believer's life. Or maybe, just maybe this morning, you need to walk into one of those categories. Lord, God, I don't know where people are in this room, but God, I have a feeling that there's people that you're knocking on the doors of their heart this morning. And Jesus, you are beginning to deal with their souls this morning. God, I pray you cut through the noise right now. You settle into people's hearts right now. That you're worth it. And God, quite honestly, I'm praying right now, there's people in this room that just need to invite you into their lives. They need to give you their hearts. They need to say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I need you in my life. Come into my life and give me hope. Forgive me of my sins and be my Lord. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Listen, if that's you this morning, in just a second, I'm going to walk over to my left, your right, right by this Next Steps banner. I've got some guys with me and some counselors with me. And here's what I want you to do this morning. This is going to be bold, but that's okay. I just need you to walk over to us and say, hey, I met Jesus today. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? For a lot of us today, though, we walked in here pretty beat down today, feeling like we're disqualified. Let me give you a challenge today. I want you to see yourself through the lens of who Christ has made you, that you're his. Lord, walk with us in these next couple of minutes of worship. God, let decisions be made. Let people meet you. And God, take us from this place after it knowing that we're yours. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll be right over here. Let's stand together and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.